Hi, welcome to the Branch Life Podcast. We're so happy you're joining us on our journey through the book of Matthew. Join us today as we talk through the way Jesus instructed us to live the good life. Welcome to Branch Life Church. Hey, if you're watching this on the premiere, it is Mother's Day. So we want to say happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. Thank you for what you do. We know that today is a day of celebration for many, but also a day of pain for others. And so we just want to say to you that we love you. Uh, We love uh, your story, and we know that God is working everything together for good. To all the moms out there, uh, we want to wish you a very, very happy and special day. We're going to talk a little bit more in our talk today about moms and how they can be a great example to us as we continue on our series of and about the good life. So stay with us, stick with us, stay all the way to the end as we go continue forward in Jesus' incredible teaching from the Sermon on the Mountain. You are going to want to hear this today. We want to thank everyone who's regularly a part of Branch Life Church. And if this is your first time with us, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. My name is Pastor Josh, and uh, we enjoy connecting with you in this way. And when you're ready and if you're local, you're always welcome to join us at our brand new campus on Pewtown Road, just south of Pottstown, where we worship together right now at 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. So join us when you can and uh, and stick with us online as long as this is what is best for you. We ask everyone, if it's your first time or if you're with us every time, to go out and go ahead and fill out your online connection card. Let us know that you're worshiping with us today, whether you're watching the premiere or whether you're watching on demand at a later time. Go ahead and fill out that card. The link is always live and you can just click on that. Uh, Let us know who you are and that you worshiped. And if you have any questions, prayer requests, comments, or this was particularly encouraging to you, we'd love to hear about that. And you can do that on the connection card. So thanks for joining us again today. Thank you to those who give on a regular basis. Your support is so encouraging to us. We hope that today will be an encouragement to you. Stick with us as we continue on in our series, In the Good Life. Well, if you have your Bibles, grab, uh, grab them and jump to Matthew chapter 5, your electronic Bibles, your real paper Bibles, whichever one works best for you, jump in. If you're watching on our website platform, you can actually click uh, on the side of the platform and you can follow along even as you're watching this uh, virtually in the passage that we're in. So Matthew chapter 5, and it's all about the good life. And here's the big question for today. How can we treat other people in a way that'll result in the good life. You know, if we just live life all on our own and we didn't interact with other people, it could be like some people, a dream come true, right? My day would be great if it wasn't for all the other people in it. But that's not how life works. We interact on a regular basis with people and those interactions often determine how our days go. One of the most important interactions that you have in your life, one of the most important relationships that you have in your life is your relationship with your parents. So I would be an irresponsible 
responsible uh, son if I didn't stop right now and said happy Mother's Day to my mom, the best mom in the world. Here she is. Uh, this is my mom, Betty Jean, and this is me and my twin brother at our fifth grade field trip to Washington, D.C. That's my best friend growing up, Preston. He's only You only get to see his ear. Now, I can hear you laughing, and I'm not sure what you're laughing at. And if it, you should not be laughing at my beautiful mom's uh, bow tie necklace thing. I mean, that was in fashion. Like that was the way to go back when I was in fifth grade. I know you're not laughing at me in this picture. So it's probably the bow tie. It's beautiful. And I think it brings out her eyes. Let me tell you something incredible about my mom. Uh, my mom is one of those people that never had a mean thing to say about another person. I've never heard her talk down about somebody. I've never heard her speak badly about someone. Even when they were in the wrong, even when they were like messing up my life, my mom still talked good about them. She always used words that built other people up even if they didn't deserve it. She has one of the kindest hearts of everybody I know and that's the example that she gave me. My mom worked hard to teach us to be kind and generous to other people, not only with our stuff, but also with our spirits. You know, there's always another side to the story. There's always another side to the, to the interaction that you're having. There's a reason behind what took place. And my mom often defended our teachers and our coaches and our, our friends and our neighbors and our enemies, even when we were in some sort of conflict or a little bit upset. Her example of generosity has been something that's affected me in an incredible way. And when we come to this passage, what my mom taught us is a principle that Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount. As people gathered from all kinds of spectrums on their spiritual journey, people who were excited about learning from Jesus, people who were investigating who Jesus was, and people who were even against Jesus gathered on this mountain and he spoke to them and gave them these instructions which were life transforming for all of them. You're in one of those three categories. You're here today and you're going to hear from Jesus. And whether you're all in with Jesus, he's got some encouragement for you. Whether you're investigating whether or not what he says is true, I, I challenge you to lean in. And maybe you've been against Jesus. Maybe, maybe Jesus isn't someone that you uh, believe is truth or truth filled. Today, I want you to test his words. And he has a message for all of us. And here's the message that Jesus gives that my mom was an example for, and you've probably seen in your life. He's going to teach us about radical generosity. He's going to teach us how important it is to be generous. Jesus in these moments is giving some instructions in Matthew chapter 5 about how to get, live the good life and how our relationships, the way that we treat people, will impact our good life. And these days are filled with hard people to deal with. How can you deal with hard people? How can you react well to hard people so that you're still able to give the good life? Jesus gives us three, uh, three people, three categories of people that we need to be radically generous towards. Three people that we need to be radically generous towards. He's first going to talk about being generous towards evil people. Now, you throw up the red flag, raise your hand. You're like, wait, what? That's a thing? Yeah. Jesus' message is radical in and of itself and radical generosity. This is upside down thinking. We're going to talk about that in a second. He then says to be radically generous towards your enemies. 
Wait, what? Aren't we supposed to destroy our enemies? He's going to address that question too. And then he says to be radically generous to the needy. And this is a powerful, powerful, a powerful way to live your lives. Man, if we can grasp this, imagine it. Imagine in a moment, if we were able to be radically generous towards everyone in all of these categories, how it would transform our interactions, our relationships, our lives, our families, our family get-togethers, our churches, our neighborhoods, our country, and our world. This is a design that Jesus said is the way for us to live. And so let's jump into this today. God, help us to understand how to be radically generous just like mom, just like you taught us to be radically generous. Help us follow your example. Help us, Lord, to think about how we can use this and, and what relationships we can apply this to immediately. God, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds today as we go through this challenge. All right, guys, we're jumping into it. Let's go piece by piece. As we're talking about radical generosity, that's generosity that's crazy, and that's generosity that we value at Branch Life Church. The first category of people is being generously, radically generous towards evil people. So what does it mean to be radically generous towards evil people? If you grab your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. Let's follow these instructions in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, the peacemakers, be salt and light. And now he's into this section called, you've heard it said. And he's taking the Ten Commandments and he's unpacking that he's not abolished the law, but he's fulfilled it. And there's a deeper meaning to what we need to do and how we need to live our lives. And that we can't do it ourselves, but it's through a relationship. He's talking against religion and he's talking about a relationship with Jesus. And people who know that relationship treat other people with radical generosity. We're going to see that in a little bit. So here we are, Matthew chapter 5. He's continuing this discussion. He says in verse 38, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. So there's the category of people. He's talking about that person that comes into your life and is doing evil things. And we are surrounded by evil decisions and, and evil choices all the time. So you probably don't have to think too hard about the last time you were treated with evil contempt. He says, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic or your shirt, give him also your cloak or your coat. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Here's this incredibly famous passage about turning the other cheek, right? If someone hurts you, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. And here's what Jesus is describing, the instructions he's giving us, the radicalness of this message is simply this. Hey, if you're faced with evil, turn the other cheek. Well, what what does that mean? It's not necessarily saying, hey, Turn the other cheek so that you can get slapped on the other side. That's not the teaching here. When you would greet someone in this culture, you would come up and you'd greet them by kissing them on one cheek and then the other. And so in that moment, if you came up to someone who had evil intent and you went to kiss them and they struck you on the cheek instead of kissing you, they caused you hurt or harm, you're still to offer that affectionate greeting to them. You continue with that act of generosity. It's not, hey, hit me again. I'm not going to fight back. It's, I still love you. 
I still want to greet you. I still want to have a relationship with you. So you turn that other cheek in that moment. If someone sues you, if someone's trying to take things from you unfairly, or they think you owe them something, and they take your shirt, this radical generosity says not to fight that, not to go against that, but just simply give them twice as much as they tried to take. Give them your, your coat also. Man, how many times have someone has, I've seen kids playing with toys. We have a, a wall of Nerf guns in our garage. And these are one of our sources of great fun and joy, but also one of the sources of greatest conflict in our neighborhood. Everyone's coming in, they want to grab these Nerf guns, they want to play with them, but they always want the other kid's Nerf gun. And we've seen it every, every week. One kid will have the best gun and another kid will come up and grab that gun out of their hand. The kid who lost the gun will get mad. That's my gun, I had it first. How dare you take it from me? Give it back. No, I have it now, it's my gun, I had it yesterday. And they start this fighting and this fun thing that was happening then just simply got destroyed. Here's what Jesus is saying in this moment. He's like, if someone comes and takes your Nerf gun, give them a second gun and all the extra bullets. Can you imagine how that would transform that moment? Instead of being upset and angry, I lost my gun going, oh, you want a gun? Here's another gun and let's play. And the day continues to move forward. And instead of focusing on your loss, you now are focusing on radical generosity and how that transforms things. But man, if we can't get this on the playground, how are we going to get this in our, in our dining rooms when we're around our, our families, when we feel slighted by a brother or sister? How are we going to get this around a boardroom when someone else in the, in the business or someone else from another business comes in and starts attacking our profit margins and our, our, our proposals and our strategic plans? If we can't get this on the playground, how are we going to get this nationwide when dealing with evilness that's coming in from all around, whether you feel like you're being attacked by evil politics or evil countries, God is saying, hey, we, we need to turn the other cheek. Give them your coat. If someone makes you go one mile, go two miles. This is literally where we get the idiom, go the extra mile. When you, when you see something that's hurting you, how do you deal with that? When they force you to do something you don't want to do, go the extra mile. Have you ever had to be in a situation where you had to help someone because they did something wrong, because they messed up, because they forgot to get it done? You're supposed to go the extra mile to help that person, even when you're already put out, even when you're already off schedule, even when you're already giving because they still don't deserve it. Give them twice as much as they deserve. Radical stuff. And then he says, give to the beggar and the borrower. And here's what we do with beggars and borrowers. So many times we look at someone who's begging. We look at someone who's come to knock on our door and says, I need this. And we say, you should have planned better. This is your fault. I've got the sugar in my cabinet because I bought it in the grocery store because I knew I would need it. When you come and want to borrow a cup of sugar, you should have planned better. Or you're only begging because you made all kinds of mistakes. You did all kinds of things that you shouldn't have done. And anyone in there who, who could have figured out life would not be in this situation. And we start judging people who are begging or borrowing from us. And God says, don't do that. When someone is begging, when someone is borrowing, that means they're simply in need and we're to, we're to give to them. We're to be radically generous to them, even if they don't deserve it, even if it's their evil choices that brought them to that position and to that moment. Man, this is radical stuff. And so Jesus says this to everyone on the side of the mountain and they, their jaws drop. 
And they go, how in the world am I supposed to do this? I don't think that's what I've been taught. Jesus, we have been taught an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And we hear this all the time in our culture today. We talk about this every time we talk about justice and trying to allow people to get their just reward. And if if someone punches you, you punch them back because eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. If they take your Nerf gun, you take their Nerf gun. Nerf gun for Nerf gun, Nerf gun for Nerf gun. And we, we live on this principle and Jesus says, hey, this is a law in the Old Testament but we are treating it incorrectly. Remember, I've not come to abolish the law, but I'm here to fulfill it. So let's look at about how we get this wrong. And context matters. In Exodus chapter 21, this is where the law comes from. It says in verse 24, but if there is harm, you shall pay life for a life, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hand for a hand, foot for a foot, burn for a burn, wound for a wound, stripe for a stripe, amen, right? And we're all like, that's how it should go. That's how it should work. This makes sense. This is the law. And Jesus is saying, I have not come to abolish this law. As a matter of fact, this still stands. But what do we get so wrong? We get this wrong when we take this in a religious way instead of a relationship way. And so many people misuse this passage. Let me grab my handy whiteboard for you. And we're going to talk about eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth here for just a moment. All right. Here we are in Exodus chapter 21, verse 24. We have the passage that says eye for an eye. Now, remember, whenever you look at the Bible, context is king. And you always want to get to the truth principle of the context. That truth principle is what's true for everyone, everywhere, and every time. And then you apply that to your life, your time, your situation. So Jesus says, or the Old Testament says, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. In the context of this setting, this is dealing with giving justice. This is bringing to the people a law or a rule. And so when a judge or a person in authority has to figure out the just way to resolve the bad behavior, this was stolen from you, you were hurt, your life was taken. What is the right way to respond to that? How do we judge that? The legal standard should be an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This still stands as our guide, as our legal standard. The Bible was talking about when harm takes place and the judge has to decide in a legal setting or in any setting of authority. So if you're a parent and you have to decide how to resolve the harm that happened between your kids, one of the kids hurts the other kid, what do you do? What's, how do you dole out the correct punishment? You try to do a punishment that fits this standard. Now, it's not a It's not a literal standard. It's a guideline. You don't take out the other person's eye if they they took out their eye. It's it's a a truth principle that comes to to the conclusion or the way that we would say it in the truth principle way. The punishment has to fit the crime. The punishment has to fit the crime. So when you're legally judging a situation, eye for an eye means the punishment has to fit the crime. Not too light, not too harsh. And so 
allow that standard to rule. What had happened in religion is they were now taking this statement and they were not applying it to legal settings, to authoritative settings. They were applying it to petty playground revenge. You hurt me, now I'm going to hurt you. That is not the spirit of this law. That's not the, the reading of this law. This was not the way it was supposed to be taken. And then people were using this to absolutely destroy relationships. And they were running and going after revenge and, and hurt. And you hurt me, I hurt you. And this is how we hear this said most often in our day and age. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, life for life, burn for a burn, wound for a wound. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. When what it meant is the punishment should fit the crime. And that's what Jesus said. That's what, that's what he's reminding us in this moment. And so if the punishment still fits the crime, what do we do with the people that hurt us? Well, we're supposed to be radically generous. Let the court decide. Let the authority decide what the correct punishment is. As far as I'm concerned, when I'm facing evil, when I've been abused, when I've been hurt, I'm going to be radically generous. Turn the other cheek. I'm going to go the extra mile. I'm going to make sure that I give to those who are in need. So that's just a little bit of a side item on how we interpret Scripture and how we understand fulfillment of the law versus uh, uh, abolishing the law. And let's go on to the next point. As we go into the second category, uh, Jesus asks us to be generous towards our enemies. All right, so who is your neighbor and who is your enemy? An enemy is defined as anyone who attacks you, anyone who's coming after you, anyone who is, is out to get you. And so we all have people that we're in conflict with on a regular basis. Those would fall into this category of enemy. Let's look at Matthew chapter 5 and start reading in verse 43. He goes on to say, in, in verse 43, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. All right, let's just pause right there for a second. We know where the Bible says you shall love your neighbor. It's repeated all over the Old Testament and the New Testament. It is part of the greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. But where does the Bible say you shall hate your neighbor? It doesn't. That is not a quote from the Old Testament. It might be one of two possibilities, an inference from some of the Psalms and some of the other passages where it says to destroy your neighbor. There's some conflict. There's some people who were the enemies of God and Jesus said to the nation of Israel to go and destroy them. And so that might be a, a continuation of that. Or this was what people were saying. This is how they took it in this day and age. It was being said culturally that you should love God. Uh, you should love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. Either way, Jesus wants to correct this understanding. So back in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who's in heaven. So here's the instructions towards your enemy. You're supposed to love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Man, the power of love in this moment, the radical instruction is that the love that you have in your heart isn't supposed to extend just to the people that you are uh, friends with, just to the people that you get along with, just to your favorites, but love is supposed to radically reach out to everybody, even those to who, uh, who are against you. What kind of love? This is the kind of love that is self-sacrificing love. 
This is that love that gives of yourself. It, it repeats that idea of, of going the extra mile. And then he says to pray for those who persecute you. One of the most powerful things that you can do in any relationship in your life is to pray for the other person. It's hard to hate someone that you pray for. It's hard to treat someone unfairly who you are praying for. It's hard to hold animosity in your heart with someone that you are praying for. So today, let me ask you this question. Who is it hardest for you to pray for? If we were going to list all the people that you have in your life and everyone that you're interacting with on a regular basis, which one of those people is it the hardest for you to pray for? I want you to write down a name in your journal or on a scrap piece of paper or think of a face. When you come to think about this person, it's someone that you either want to cast out of your mind or it's someone that you want to hurt. It's someone that makes you very sad or upset and that you just don't want to think about. Who is it that's hardest for you to pray for? That's who God wants you to love and who he wants you to pray for. He wants you to reach out to that person with the kindness of the power of prayer. We believe that prayer changes things. We believe in praying first. And if you want to change your spirit towards other people, even people who are out to get you, prayer is the way that you change it. And starting to talk to God about these people is one of, the, one of the most powerful things you can do. Why are we supposed to love our enemies? Why are we supposed to pray for our enemies and not just go after them, not just destroy them as is the popular or the normal way of thinking? He goes on in the verse and he says in verse 45, So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. And he, God, makes the sun rise on the evil and the good. He sends the rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. If you're underlining verses, if you're underlining a passage, underline those verses. God, our Father, brings the Son and He gives it to everyone, enemies and, and foes alike. He sends the rain. He sends the life-giving sustenance to those who are just and unjust. And if God wants to bring revenge on someone, He will. But until He decides to do that, it is not our position to do it. My mom gave me some great advice growing up. I was having an incredible fight with my sister. We probably were fighting over the remote or something like that. And I got so mad and so upset that I just wanted to, to uh, be done with my sister. And my mom comes in, sees me frustrated, and she quoted me a verse. She says, listen, God said, says in the end of Romans chapter 12 that revenge is mine, says the Lord. It's not your job to get revenge. God is the one who does it. Until he decides to change the situation while he's sending light and rain to everyone, who are you to step in and go against your father? Leave it in his hands because he is the one who can take care of it all and is the right giver of justice. Our job is then to love. Not only that, he says that we need to be like him. And he gives us an incredible example. You probably are facing bullies in your life. Some of the greatest examples of bullies in our pop culture are Johnny from Karate Kid or Draco from, from Harry Potter. One of my favorite lines in any movies comes when Draco's in trouble because he's his own bully and he did his own, own dumb stuff. And Harry and Ron have to save him and they're, they're deciding to turn back and save him at their own peril. And Ron says to Harry, Harry, if we die for him, I'm going to kill you. 
It's one of my favorite lines ever, but it's exactly what this verse is talking about. Loving other people even when they don't deserve it. Or Biff from Back to the Future. Or one of the greatest bullies of all times, Mrs. Hannigan from Little Orphan Annie. God's, God is the one. God is the one who is responsible for taking justice. And all of these stories, the heroes in the story gave love to people who didn't deserve it. They gave love to people who didn't earn it. And in all of these stories, these bullies or these enemies, not only did the heroes win the day, they also won the person. That's what God is asking us to do. And we don't face these comical or these fictional uh, enemies. We face real enemies on a regular basis. But God is the one who asks us to to love them. Listen to this quote from Alfred Plummer, who's a, a a New Testament scholar from the 1800s. He says this, To return evil for good is devilish. That's wrong. That's that's no good. To return good for good is human. Everybody does that. But to return good for evil is divine. It's divine. When you're able to come to that point in your spirit, like our Heavenly Father, where even though you've been treated with evil intent, but you return good and love, that's from God. Here's what's so radical about it. We can't do that on our own. We're not able, without God's help, to return good for evil. But God in His goodness and God in His example has done that, just that for us. How are we perfect like our Heavenly Father is perfect? The only way to live the good life, the only possible way to have the good life is with perfect love. And the only one who has perfect love is God himself. We have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ so that we can access the perfect love that God has for us. We're supposed to love just like dad. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Now he is asking us to love our enemies. He is asking us to do good to those who are evil. And Jesus has done just that for us. We were the enemies of God. You were an enemy of God. We acted in evil ways towards our Heavenly Father, full of sin. And God in His love for us, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever, the evil enemies of God, can now become a part of the family of God because of His radical generosity. He died on the cross for us so that we could have life eternal. God loves you so much that He dies for you and now wants to spend eternity with you no matter what you've done or where you've been, no matter what kind of hurt or harm you've caused. And when we have received that radically generous love, we are then able to give that radically generous love to all of those around us. We know that but for God's grace, we would be the evil enemies in the story. But because of God's love, we can stand in perfect love and give it out to others. This is an impossible task. You can't do this without God, but with God, all things are possible and we can strive to be radically generous to the evil and to the enemies of our world. And here's the, here's the final category and the final example and the final thought we want to leave you today as we talk about radical generosity. We have, we have God's example as he stood out and in front of the world and he died on a cross for all to see. 
God says, and Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, let your light shine before men so that they could see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. When we are loving and kind to our enemies, when we give to the evil people in this world, people will see that. Our enemies will see that. The evil people will see that and they will be brought into a relationship with Jesus. And so those actions are done in public. But here's a powerful thought. We know who Jesus helped because of the stories in the Bible. But have you ever thought about who we don't know that Jesus helped? There is probably an, an, an limitless amount of stories that we will never know where Jesus secretly helped someone in his life. Whether he was a teenager on the playground or growing up as he was helping his dad in the carpenter shop, when he was a young adult growing up in his, in his uh, years before he was in his 20s and 30s, during his ministry with the disciples, as he traveled from town to town, there are probably thousands of people that Jesus helped, but he helped them secretly. Maybe he healed them. Maybe he gave to them. Maybe he provided a meal. Maybe he walked with them. Maybe he gave them the shirt off of his back. But can you imagine, can you think about the secret help that Jesus gave that nobody knows about, that was never written down, that was never seen by public, by, by the public people? I think that's why this third category is an incredibly powerful and unlimited category for us to consider today. Jesus asks us to be radically generous towards the needy. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. He says this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. So be careful of that. Because you will have your reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. As the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Look at these last truth principles from this instruction of radical generosity to those who are in need around us. Number one, he says to give in secret. Or in other words, don't give for the purpose of public praise. I don't give to someone so that I can then post it on my Instagram so that everyone knows what a great guy I am. I give to someone to truly help them in a time of need. And I want to do that secretly. He says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Again, this is poetry. This is an idiom you can't not do it. But one of the ways that we try to live this out in our, ho- in our house is Jenny and I have written each other a blank check. That's right, I have a blank check. I can spend it however I want. In other words, Jenny does not have to ask me about when she wants to be generous and help someone. And neither do I have to ask her. We've written each other a blank check that says, anytime you want to give anything to someone in need, you do it. I I want you to do that and you don't have to tell me about it and vice versa. Anytime I see someone in need and I'm led by the Spirit to give to them and to meet that need, I don't have to even tell Jenny about it. My right hand doesn't even know what my left hand is doing. There are times, there are things that I don't know about that Jenny has helped people and she's done it completely in secret. And I love that about her. And I love the freedom that we can do that. That's the spirit of this message that you want to give, not to gain favor in the eyes of other people, but simply to love those needy people around you. Listen, there's no shortage of needs. 
And so when you give, give to those that need it just simply to help meet those needs. And then he says this, here's the powerful truth about it. God sees your heart. God knows why you give. He's able to see in the dark. He's able to read your heart. And here's the difference between religion and relationship. Religion is about actions. Religion is about doing something so that everyone else can see it. A relationship with Jesus is about your heart. And he's coming to say, hey, it's your heart. And when you give to the needy, it's your heart that matters. And God sees your heart. And it is not possible for you to outgive God. When you give to God and in the right way, God who is in heaven is the one who will reward you. And don't ever be scared about giving too much. Always err on the side of generosity because God will take care of you. And if you don't believe that you can't outgive God, I dare you, I dare you to test this. Test this. The Old Testament says to test God's generosity and try to give away so that you can get in in return. We had an incredible experience over the Christmas holiday. Just one short thing uh, that happened to us. We had decided to give to a family in our neighborhood who needed it. And we had come up with an amount to help buy them some Christmas presents. And we had a conversation, Jenny and I, and we said, you know what, we're going to do this and we're going to help them out. And we were getting ready to give to them in secret and nobody was going to know. And we were going we're gonna to test God and we were going to outgive him, right? And all of a sudden we got a knock on our door. We literally had just had a, a, a conversation 30 minutes ago. We opened the door and there was a gentleman standing there with the exact amount of money that we had just talked about. And he he said, listen, I think you know a family that needs this. Will you use this money to help someone in need? God provided the gift before we even gave it. And he gave us the exact amount that we had committed to give to someone else so that we could meet the need. You can't outgive God. We just had a young man named Chris Beck who, who, because of COVID, had to rearrange his plan to go on to the mission field. And he was going to be in another country, but because of COVID, that got torpedoed. And a, another opportunity opened up, but it was very last minute, and it was expensive. So for he and a friend, they had to raise each $6,000 in the course of just a couple of weeks so that they could make the deadline to be involved in this new missions opportunity. So Chris gets on Instagram, and his friend gets on Instagram, and they start putting out the need. And he called me to see if Branch Life could help. And I didn't get the phone call. I didn't get a chance to answer it until about three or four days later. And I finally call up Chris. I say, Chris, hey, what's going on, man? He goes, Pastor Josh, I need to raise $6,000 so we could go on the trip. And that's why I was calling you. And, and, and I said, all right, how much do you need? And, and let's talk about how we can help you out. And he goes, Pastor Josh, you're not going to believe it. We have it all. We have all the money. It all came in. And, and Pastor Josh, I, I can't even tell you how it came in. It came in in thousands of different ways. People sent us money in the mail. We got stuff Vimoed to us in small amounts. We had pledges that were given. We had stuff that was emailed over to us that people were saying, just go, we'll take care of it. He goes, Pastor Josh, all that money has been given. This radical generosity, this idea of outgiving God is something you need to test because it is absolutely true. It's way better to, better to give and to receive. But when we see God's generosity and happen, happening through the hearts of spirits, it's a huge blessing. Chris and his friend are incredibly blessed by by this generosity and I know many of you gave to that effort and they are able to now go spend their summer on the mission field doing the work that God has called them to do and Chris is reaffirmed in his call to go farther in generosity and to give his life to reach people for Jesus you can't out give God so who is needy around you 
And how can you give generously to them? We love when people give to God through Branch Life Church. It's one of the greatest blessings and greatest joys that we have to pe- see people serve and to help, uh, help us meet our financial go- uh, goals. And it has been you supplying the needs that we have as a ministry to do what God has done. And we have been able to then, as a ministry, have this value of radical generosity where we, as a church, turn around to meet the, other, to meet the needs of the community members around us. And, and we've seen it happen that we can't outgive God. Every time we as a church try to give stuff away, God then blesses us. And so we as a church are continuing to ask this question in 2020, 21. Who can we give to? Who can we help? Who can we reach out to? Who, who is in need around us? We're going to continue to give for food and to serve and to give our time and energy and finances to help those needs. And you can do the same when you give to God. When you can love someone, when you can have this heart of generosity towards the needy, when you see a need, meet the need, you can't outgive God. That is the example that we have. Now, as we close on this Mother's Day, I want to give you a challenge, a challenge that, that your mom would pass with flying colors. But this is a challenge just for you and a takeaway. It's a seven-day challenge that we're, ta- we're calling the Radical Generosity Challenge. Now, if you're willing to take this challenge, I want to encourage you to on your connection card to fill that out today and say, I accept the Radical Generosity Challenge. And don't tell us any more information, but here's what the challenge is. Pray this prayer. Dear God, show me who to give to or who to forgive, who to pray for, and who to help in the next seven days. And then in the course of this next week, whenever you start this, the first part of the challenge is to give to someone who took from you. Give to someone who took from you. Maybe they took from you in the distant past. Maybe they took from you right now. Maybe they took something big. Maybe they took something small. Maybe it was uh, they, they took a, your time or a piece of your heart or, or finance or, or took advantage but to give to them or to give back to them as we follow this example of radical generosity towards those who are evil. And the second category, we want want to encourage you to pray daily, every day, seven days, for someone who hurt you. That person that's hard for you to pray for. Lift them up and ask for God to work in their lives. And then thirdly, we want you to secretly help someone in need. Who can you help? Who can you help in a way that no one knows it was you? Anonymously to give time, effort, energy, emotion, or finance to someone in need. That is the radical generosity challenge. And our prayer is that through this challenge that you will experience truly what it means to live the good life as you walk in a relationship with Jesus and live out radical generosity. Man, if you've listened to this today and you don't yet have a personal relationship with Jesus, we want to invite you into that relationship. He loves you so much that he can guide your life to have life more abundant and life eternal. So how do you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior in this very moment? Just tell God that you know you're a sinner, that you believe He sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins and rose again from the dead, and that you want to accept the free gift of salvation depending on Him to save you and nothing else. If you have any questions about that, we want to encourage you to go to the Gospel tab 
at branchlife.church. Don't forget to fill out your connection card for everyone who's joining us, particularly those who are joining us for the first time. And let us know if you're going to be taking the Radical Generosity Challenge over the next seven days. We want to invite you to join us next week as we go into this powerful part of the Sermon on the Mount about prayer. And it's Perfect Prayer Part 1, the Lord's Prayer from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5-15. So join us and, uh, and, and we hope that it will be encouragement to you as we go deeper in our relationship with God so that we can reach farther and help others around us. Thanks for joining us today. Have a great rest of your day. We'll see you next time.